Guys, good Monday morning. I'm Jerry Miller, and welcome to Real Talk with Keith Smith. Thank you kindly for joining us live in downtown Charlottesville. Guys, in our building, the Macklin Building, in the heartbeat of Central Virginia. This show on every social channel known to mankind, and it's an interactive program where you, the viewer and listener, are encouraged to ask questions and chime in and shape the discussion. Judah Wickhauer, our director, wherever you're watching this show upon, we certainly appreciate your viewership and your listenership. Judah, if you could go to the studio camera, then the four shot, and welcome our panel of experts on a Monday morning. Good morning, everybody. Keith, how are you? I'm doing great. You know, if I was doing any better, I'd be Denise and Woody. That's how awesome my there life you go. is. Got to spend uh, a weekend with my youngest daughter and my youngest grand granddaughter in Virginia Beach, do a little bit of business planning. She's joining our firm, awesome. so it's a lot of fun. We got to, to plan that out a little bit and uh, may have hung out a little bit on the beach on a beautiful 70-degree weather down the beach. Maybe just done a little bit, little bit of that. But thank you for coming, guys. This is going uh, to be a, a, a pretty... Uh, um, fun show. Uh, Denise came in locked and loaded and ready for bear. To, <laughs> Lots of coffee. <laughs> when, are you, when are you not locked and loaded? My yeah, you, you, were, you were ready to go, and I'm excited to hear about Woody's perspective on what I'm referring to as the 40-year-O shift that is coming, uh, coming our way. So I'll let uh, Jerry do the intro of the guests, and then we'll kick in from there. I think by now folks know who uh, Woody Fincham and Denise Ramey is. Um, I think the topic du jour has been the decoupling of commissions, a story that's penetrated not only the industry and insider news cycle, but is now in the layman's news cycle. Um, and the reason I know this is because we are getting hammered left and right with people trying to get clarity on what's going on here. Um, I'll just start open-ended with someone who knows the business inside and out, Denise Ramey. Where would you like to begin here? Well, I'll, I'll preface my comments with the fact that I currently serve on the board of directors for the National Association of Realtors. And the National Association of Realtors was a co-defendant in the Burnett versus NAR, which is the National Association of Realtors et al. lawsuit. And uh, a judgment was reached on October 31st. And for those of you that don't know what this was about, there were three or four sellers who were suing NAR and several brokerages, including Keller Williams, my brokerage, Home Services of America, which is the owner of Long and Foster, and a couple of other brokerages. In the lawsuit, the plaintiffs claimed that real estate commissions are too high and that buyer brokers are being paid too much and that the NAR rules and corporate defendants, Berkshire Hathaway and um, Keller Williams, et cetera, that their practices lead to set pricing. So I'm very passionate about this topic. Um, NAR did an amazing job defending our industry, our agents, our $1.5 million real, I'm sorry, 1.5 million realtors around the country. Um, and I personally take exception to this because I'm out in the field every day talking to clients. I have four buyers agents on my team who are out in the field every day representing buyers. And this is just not true. And that's what NAR and the brokerages argued. Unfortunately, we were not successful, and the, the jury found for the plaintiffs. Um, and so obviously, we were disappointed because we presented a lot of evidence that 
basically says, we negotiate our commission every day. When we go on an appointment, me as a listing agent, I'll sit down with a seller. I'll talk through what I'm going to do for that seller. I sell the value of my team and my business. And then I tell them what my fee is to transact that business for them. And 50% of the time, at least 50% of the time, they ask me if I'll reduce my commission and if my commission is negotiable. And I tell them it may be with some people, but it's not with me. This is what I do to bring value to the table, and this is why you should pay me what I'm asking. But these clients interview two or three agents many times, and they ask that same question of these agents. And if I can defend the value of what I bring to the table and what my team brings to the table, the client agrees to pay that. But I also have to explain to them why it's important to pay a buyer agent a commission. Because many times they say, well, we know what you're going to do, and we're willing to pay you for what you're going to do, but why should we pay for the buyer agent? And I explain to them that, especially in today's world, the buyer agents are working harder than they've ever had to work to transact a sale. Um, I can tell you that, the, and I'll just speak to the buyer's agents on my team because I know, you know more specifically what they do. Um, Jessica is one of the buyer's agents on my team. And when we talk about you know, who she's working with and, and what she's got in the funnel, she has double-digit number of buyers that she's been working with for over two years that haven't found the home they want yet. I don't even know how many homes she's shown these people. But on average, I would say the average buyer's agent is showing 20-plus homes to a buyer before they write a contract on the first home. And in this market, they've been losing many, many times on the contracts they submit because they're competitive situations. So buyer's agents are working really hard. And so I tell my sellers this. If you want them to work hard to sell your house, you need to pay them to do that because they're out in the field every day showing other people's homes as well. I will tell you, I, you know, and I'm a little passionate about this as you can tell, but the reason this lawsuit really came about was because there are people in every business who don't do their job the way they should. Hmm. And I will acknowledge that there are buyer's agents out there that show up to meet a client at a listing. They've never met the client. They know nothing about them, and I shouldn't even call them a client. They're a customer at that point. They know nothing about them. They've done nothing to counsel that client on what value they bring to the table, what they're going to do for that buyer to help them secure a home. And that's what's gotten us into this situation, is if you've ever bought a home and you've worked with an agent like that, you wonder, why do I need a buyer's agent? You know, I can just go on Zillow and find a house. But if you've worked with a good buyer's agent who is educating you and and showing you multiple homes and explaining to you the pros and the cons of those homes and the process. And they've educated you about, from start to finish, what a buyer's agent is going to do for you to earn that commission. You typically don't question. What's called value proposition. Right. So we're in this position because not everybody has done what they should do to justify what we are being paid. And what people see on social media is, oh, I sold a home in two hours. And oh, then the, the public says, well, why do I need you if you sold the home in two hours? Well, what the, what the realtors are I think the aren't... worst thing we ever did was starting this. I sold a house in 13 seconds. Yes. I, I had to interrupt you there because, because that, you know, to me, that's just been way off the, off the trots. I'll let you finish up, but that's just ridiculous what we used to do. Well, and if you follow me on social media and my team, we don't do that because what that does is it discounts yeah. everything it I did. It marginalizes you. Yeah. yeah. 
I might have met with that client for the first time a year ago and given them a honeydew list of things to do to get their home ready for the market and shared with them my contractors who I know are going to do a good job. I've gone back out to the house several times to say, yeah, this looks great, but we still need to do this. And then I bring stagers in to stage the home. Um, we do a market analysis to price the home. We probably do two or three market analysis now if it takes them six months or a year to get on the market. There's so much that goes into me helping my client get that house ready to go on the market professional photography, marketing, all those things. So if I just talk about how quickly I sell a home, the public doesn't realize all the things I did to make that transaction successful for my seller. So we've got to stop. We've got to stop making it look like, oh, this is such an easy thing. Why do I need you? So I'll pause at that moment. I, like I know I've talked a lot, but... Yeah, no, no. You, Brokers we, all over the show right now, by the I, way. We, I wanted, and thank you for agreeing to come on today. I, I've wanted your perspective. I know that a... We're super sensitive. You're on the board, the National Association of Realtors Board. I get it. So you're in the room on it. But I also know your passion. passion. We, Jerry and I have been talking about this for a while. And Woody, I want you to jump in whenever you're ready here. I'm afraid to. <laughs> I like it. I, I won't like drink it. any more coffee. I promise. Denise, you're awesome. Yeah, there's a reason this is set up this way, buddy. <laughs> you're in between. But this is when the pros show up. I've been saying this on the show for, uh, for months. This is when the pros show up, and look, at the end of the day, the lawsuit is the lawsuit. It's going to take its path. It is going to take years before it's settled. There will be copycat lawsuits. There already are. They're already started. Yeah. This is going to go. I have my own opinions on what NAR should do. We'll talk about that a, l a little bit later. But I look at this as an opportunity, as an industry, to get better at what we do. Mm -hmm. And I thank you very much for saying there are people out there that don't do that. And I'll give you an example. We just lost a transaction, Yona and I, a contract. And I can tell you, like, we never lose deals. Once we get them under contract, we never lose them. We lost this one because of the very reason you outlined. There was an agent out of Northern Virginia who we into phone interviewed to say, tell us about your buyer, yada, yada, yada. Never met the buyer. Actually told us a fib. Never met the buyer until they met at the home and wrote a contract. So she had no idea who their buyer, who was. Was this a Zillow lead? This was ultimately, well, the, we'll use the term internet lead. I don't know which, okay. which version it was. But it was an internet lead. Never met, the, never met the, the buyer. Never did the homework to get to know the buyer, what the buyer's needs, what their capabilities were. The 117 million things we do as real estate agents on it. And ultimately, it fell apart because the buyer just decided they didn't want to live in this area. So they just put a contract in it to put a contract in it. We got information fed from an agent that's outside of our area that wasn't accurate, mm. remotely accurate. And now we have a client that's upset because now the house was on the market, now it's off the market. And guess what? We're in the slow season, and now everybody's a little, up, little upset. So there was a lack of transparency a lack of forthrightness on it. And I will comment that not every person who practices real estate is a realtor. So this person may not even be a member oh, no. of uh, yeah, yeah. the state or national association of realtors. This so person. the national association of realtors requires us to function and, and like, work <laughs> with under a code of ethics, yeah. which if you're not a realtor, um, you may not be held to that same standard. So I don't know who this agent is, but I will say that Realtors who are members of the National Association of Realtors should not be telling fibs and should not be doing some of well, the things you're describing I, I, because that's not yeah, I, who I, we are. Yeah, well, 
then we need to do better at enforcing our code of ethics, and I'll just leave it, leave it at that. Woody, please jump in, and, and from your perspective, how do you feel about this conversation? I'm gonna start out with a caveat. I sit on the board of directors for CAR myself, and so whatever I say is my own opinion. It's not that of CARs. Um, but, you know, um, and Denise and I have done dozens upon dozens upon dozens of transactions where I've been the appraiser on them, and uh, her team's been uh, either listing or buying. Uh, so I have nothing but respect for Denise. Uh, Thank you. But I'm going I'm to play a little devil's advocate here because that's what appraisers do. We, we like to um, look at all that's sides. That's why we like you, Woody. So, um, I mean. I think it's called stirring the pot, but I may be wrong. Eh, it I think it's called if, a different perspective. If I was doing it for fun, sure, but I've got to be a skeptic because that's the nature of what I do. Sure. Um, I agree with you, Keith. I think that we do a very poor job of enforcing our COE, our code of ethics. Um, certification 11 bothers me immensely. I mention it over and over and over again. Anytime I deal with agents outside of a market area, they're coming in, they usually are not competent to practice in the market that they're coming into. And that bothers me. I see a lot of misrepresentation. I don't say anything. I just do my job. I keep my nose down and do what I'm supposed to do. But uh, I've worked with agents out of, out of the area. They come in and they want to talk to us about what we do and how we do it. And it's very obvious from the conversation that they have this much knowledge of what's going on in the market. So we do need to do a better job with that. So, Denise, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to go out there and say this. We will decouple. There will be a decoupling of commissions between the seller and the buyer. It may not happen this year. It may not happen next year. But it eventually will happen. The Pacific Northwest has done it. New York's uh, doing it. New York's doing it. Doing it starting January 1. There's a couple other MLSs that I'm kind of at the table that we're having conversations with. How are they going to include the buyer's commissions, though? So that was the question I was going to ask Denise. <laughs> so that's how things used to be. That's it exactly used to right. be that the seller was the only one that had representation in a transaction. When was that? Um, I don't know the year, but it's probably been 20 years That's now. That's exactly right. Um, well, that was good. So when that happened, when, when sellers were the only ones represented and a buyer walked in to make an offer on a home, many times they didn't know that the person writing the offer for them did not represent them because it wasn't required to discuss agency 20 years ago. So the National Association of Realtors created this agency proposition to protect the buyers so that they had representation. And that's what's been lost in this whole um, lawsuit, which NAR tried to argue. If this does happen, this decoupling that Keith is talking about, we go back to the days of the wild, wild west where a buyer walks in, a buyer has no representation unless they've negotiated outside of the listing agent's commission. So say a buyer walks in and says, Denise, I want you to represent me. I say, great, here's what you have to pay me. And here's when you have to pay me, when that transaction closes. And who this is going to hurt? First-time home buyers. 100%. For sure. Veterans. Veterans who cannot um, add commissions into the transaction. They're going to have to stroke a check to buy a house where they're typically okay with having that included in the price of the house they're paying now, but not writing a check for it, because especially a first-time home buyer, I deal with a lot of young people, and they've saved to get that 5% or that 2.5% to put down to buy a house, and then they have to pay for all the inspections, and then they have to pay for an attorney to settle the transaction, and then they need a little bit of money in the bank. My son's pump in the bottom of his townhouse went out this past weekend. Oops. 
Yeah, thankfully it's still under warranty. But if it wasn't, he'd be, you know, he'd have to have a thousand dollars in the, the bank. Commi- don't call the chairman of the land trust on that one. So, you know, at the end of the day, who we're going to hurt with this yeah. is not the seller. We're going to hurt the veterans, the first-time home buyers, <sighs> and buyers who say, "Oh, I don't need you. I'll go in unrepresented until something bad happens." Yeah, yeah. And the sellers got all the representation in the world from me, the listing agent, but the buyers are hosed. And so that's what's going to happen. how do we take care of our clients? How well, do for, first you should describe what the Wild Wild West was. I mean, you described it as the Wild Wild West 20 years ago, well, where buyers would go into homes and they would put offers on houses and some were not represented. You should describe what was going on 20 so years ago in that scenario. So what was going on, because I've been in it since 87, what was going on was the buyers did not know they were representation was available to them. That's all been fixed. So that we're not going to go back to that because the state of Virginia, you're obligated to have a, when you have a substantial conversation about uh, real estate, you have to enter into either a buyer, written buyer broker's agreement or you must explain to the buyer what your compensation is and how you're doing it. You're required by law to do that. So we're not going to go back to that. But if we did, let's say, to answer your question. That's right. Okay, so I, I asked the, the seller's agent, so are there any problems with the house? The seller's obligated, the, the listing exactly agent's right. obligated to protect the seller, not to answer your question. Exactly right. Well, I can't answer that question. As far as I know, there are no issues. Um, asking questions about the HOA, asking questions about, um, you know. Foundation, mold, well, so anything. And compensation, I mean, comparable sales. You know, how are they going to find out without going on Zillow or going on Redfin? Oh, this is what I should pay for this house. I have clients every day. I have a listing coming on in Spring Creek. She sent me six different Redfin and Zillow Zestimates of her house, which are all wildly inaccurate. How are buyers Appraisers love those, by the way. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure appraisers do. But how's a buyer going to find out what is good comparable data to make a reasonable offer on a listing? I mean, there's a hundred things. So we have... We have a, a, a model to look to. Since 2019, the Pacific Northwest has been doing this. They've decoupled. They decoupled this. And the Denise and, and Woody, the way I've been explaining this is two ways. Have you ever done a FISBO before, for sale by owner before? Yes. This is all this is, is a for sale by owner. And if you do your buyer-broker agreement like you're supposed to, when I start having a substantial conversation which explains everything on how, what I do and what you do and what, how many eggs are commissioned or whatever my compensation is, right, that's in there. Then I've got to negotiate it with the listing agent to say, okay, Denise, your client, because you won't do this, but your client has decided not to pay the buyer broker. Okay, Denise, I have to have a conversation with you. Is your client willing to add X amount of eggs to it? Right? We have a conversation. One of the positives I think is going to happen from here, and Jerry and I talked about this last week. We um, disagree on this. We, we do disagree on this. But I think what's going to happen is there's going to be more dialogue between buyer and seller agents instead of texts and emails and all that stuff. This is desperately needed, in my opinion, in our industry. Well, we disagree on how buyer's agents are going to be compensated. No, look, all, all you can do is take a look at the Pacific Northwest. They just did a study in 2022. The percentage of eggs stayed exactly the same. The sellers paid it. I think to Denise's point, I don't think anything is going to change. The only two things that has changed, it got written into the contract just like a commercial deal or a FISBO, and the buyer's agent did a buyer-broker agreement. That's the only two things that changed. Or the listing agreement has to explain why it's important to pay a buyer-broker commission. But I'll tell you... We have our heads in the sand if we think that this is going to hurt anybody except those that don't. People that have money 
and that know the value of this are going to say, yeah, I'm willing to pay you. People that don't, um, and that's typically going to be those who are the least educated on the process, are the ones who are going to be hurt. Um, and, and you're right, Keith. That, so NAR is expecting, they're appealing this. And, of course, the day after this lawsuit another was one. another one was filed. Yeah. And there'll be other copycat. Hannah in that one. Yes. There'll be other copycat lawsuits filed. So this is going to tie us up forever. forever. Um, but what does this mean immediately to us? Nothing right now. Absolutely. Um, but I do think there's going to be a lot more conversation on the listing appointment regarding this, um, as a buyer broker regarding this. But NAR is saying these appeals are going to take years to be sorted out. Unless it's a settlement. Which, you know, somebody asked me, is NAR willing to settle? Well, NAR is willing to talk about anything that's reasonable. Yeah, but so far, everything has been completely, um, in we negotiate. Opinion, we negotiate for a living. So I'm sure there's negotiations going Who's on. Who's going to pay the settlement? Is this going to trickle down to the members? Will the members have to pony up more dues? Um, absolutely. I, I would think, you know, this is a $5 billion dollar um, verdict right now, five billion, and NAR doesn't have five billion dollars, even if we're you know a portion of this settlement. So what they've done right now is negotiated a bond for the percentage that they sure. have to to pay um, today. But absolutely, members will pay for this, and absolutely, I think you know so with the, with the other brokerages, consumers are going to pay for it. So a lot so, of questions. If so you want me to, to get your, to them. to your to your point, and we've been talking about this for a while. This is going to create a bigger gap between those who have and those who have not, right? And th this will do that. But, or and, I'm not allowed to use but anymore, and Why this is... Why you use but? No, I don't know. My, my daughter's trying to get my language better. Oh, and... Lord. But this is when the pros show up. I'm going to consistently say this. That's why we have lessons from legends here. This is how we help navigate us, navigate our clients. The listing agreements, the presentations are now going to have to include this conversation, right? You and I have been doing it, right? Buyer broke, there's going to actually have to be a buyer broker presentation. Okay, Denise, I'm a buyer's agent. This is what I the do for The first meeting with a buyer, whether they came in on the internet or not, needs to be meet me at a coffee shop. There you go. Let's have lunch, and let's talk about what I'm going to do for you. Not let's show up at the house, and I'll have my MLS sheet, and I'll tell you, oh, yeah, this is why you should use me as your agent, and this is why you should buy this house. You need to sit down. I, I met so back, back to the reason that deal would have never fell apart if that agent would have done her job and did exactly that, meet with and the client. And referred it to somebody who knew the market here in Charlotte. Well, that's exactly what Woody's trying to say. Yeah. Poor Woody is, is, is in. But that's exactly right, right? I don't do business up in Northern Virginia. I refer it out to a Northern Virginia agent. It's not my sphere of influence. I don't influence. go to Richmond. Stephanie Wells-Rhodes, welcome to the program. Gary Palmer, hello. Carly Wagner, hello. Thank you kindly for joining us. Sarah Hill Buchensky, Seth Batten, Andy Zeman, Katie Pearl, Kristen Smith, Supervisor Rutherford, um, Bellamy Brown ran for delegate, Dean Russell of Ross Mortgage, Jamie Turner, the real estate investor, watching the program as we speak, Eric Gunderson, the real estate investor, watching the program as we speak. I see almost every firm in town on the show as we speak here. Viewers and listeners, uh, put your comments in the feed. Here's one that's coming from Spencer. Why did, this, why did the uh, NAR CEO resign as soon as that first lawsuit was settled? That's a great question, and I'll, I'll tell you that he had announced his resignation before we even went into this lawsuit. Um, Bob Goldberg was supposed to retire at the end of 2024, and he had announced that last November, I believe, some time ago. 
Um, and so when this lawsuit was not settled, but um, the judgment was made, um, Bob had had a conversation with the leadership team at NAR the week prior or two weeks prior saying, hey, you know, this is probably the time when we need to bring in somebody new um, and escalate the timeline of him um, retiring. Bob is going to stay on as Transition. a consultant. Well, for the lawsuits, because he's one of the you know the people that's been yeah. intimately involved. So he'll still be involved in the lawsuits going forward. A lot of people don't realize these lawsuits have been going on for 2019. This isn't something that just happened yesterday. Right. And so, you know, bless his heart. He's been a, a loyal um, leader at NAR for 30-plus years. So um, the woman that they brought in... As our interim CEO, I think it was a brilliant move. She is the former CEO, I believe, of the Chicago Times. She's a media person. She's a crisis management person. She's got a lot of background and things that I think will help us. She's also very knowledgeable about the housing market. Um, I had the pleasure of, of listening to her speak earlier, I guess it was last week, when they announced the transition. And I think she's the right person at the right time to help us through the CEO search. The question was asked, would she be the person that is hired long-term as a CEO? And, I mean, I'm, I'm certain she's, you know, allowed or willing to um, interview for that position, but it didn't sound like that was the plan. It sounds like she's the person that's going to transition us through while they do a CEO search nationally, internationally, um, but I was very impressed with her background, and I think a lot of her skill sets are going to be really important to help us get through the next year and get through the CEO search. you got folks at Stanley Martin watching the program, Joshua Tracy, welcome to the program, a number of closing attorneys watching the show, Broker Ray Cadell on the feed, Bevan Boisen, Boisver, Boisver, Ray? Boisenay. Okay, of Howard Hanna watching the show, Logan Wells Claylo watching the program. Um, I'll throw this to you here. And I mentioned this last week. I'm, I'm not the realtor. Well, Woody, you're, uh, you are. Actually, Woody is a realtor. Mm -hmm. He's yeah. an appraiser, but he's a licensed realtor. Um, I'm just a, a layman here. Um, it would seem to me this would offer an opportunity for folks that need buyer representation to potentially um, further negotiate um, payment structure. And it would seem to me that those need buyer representation can say, I would like to go about this in a new scenario. Perhaps it's a retainer scenario, an hourly rate scenario. Perhaps is if you show me this many houses, it's this amount of money. If you show me this amount of houses, it's this amount of money. Throw that to you guys. Generally I, I just in don't business, see it going that direction. Generally in business. It's not a percentage of the deal when someone is working for someone. When it's, it's sales, an hourly it rate. This is a sales thing, right? Mm. So, you know. Show you, me, show me a scenario. Car. You work at a car dealership. Yep. You do okay. this. If you work at uh, an appliance, Home Depot, they pay a commission to their appliance salespeople. If you go to buy something at Brooks Brothers, they work on commission. There's a lot of risk in what these folks do for a living, right? They've spent a lot of time that they're never paid for. So getting their compensation on the back end when this is all done, it's a legitimate way to do yeah. business. I'm not a salesperson. I used to try to sell the real estate. I did it for a year and said, you know what? I like data a lot more than I like representing people in a negotiation. I'm just not a people person, you know? I like people, but I can't get in that involved in that way. Um, 
I just don't see it shifting to a flat fee. I don't see it shifting to, to anything other than what we've got. I think they're just going to figure out a way to make what's going on right now to sort of continue the way that it's always been continuing. A Brooks Brothers shirt is $110. A but, house is $700,000. So Those are commodities, me, not let service. Me, Denise, let me jump but in. Appliance is $1,000. Can I react to one thing that Woody said? Commissions have always been negotiable, That's guys. Yeah. Yeah. They have always been negotiable. Yeah. There are flat fee companies out there right now. Thank and you. that's what that's you true. missed in this whole thing is we don't set a fee and then everybody says, okay, we're going to do it. That's not true. I mean, this is a, a free and open market. There are listing agents that will take a lot less for a listing than I do. And that's their prerogative. You know, I have to sell what I do for a living. So I want to make sure there's no misconception. Commissions have been negotiable. And there are flat fee people out there. There are discount brokers out there. And so this and, is... And, and how successful have they been as far as market share? They have their, they have their niche. They do. And Very I, small I niche. commend them for that. So I'm not willing to do that because, yeah. as Woody said, I work for nothing until the house closes. Yeah. So my first two years as a realtor, I made $20,000 the first year. And I was really happy the second year to make 35000 I had two kids to support. I would not have gotten into this business if I didn't have money in the bank to pay my bills for two years. So usually when I hire on a new agent, I tell, tell me how much cash you got in the bank. Exactly. And I if mean, they don't have six to 12 months of cash in the bank, this is not the right business. So, Jerry, high risk, high reward. I yeah. totally get it. I've been, and that's, that's I'm an entrepreneur, too. The first time I launched my business 15 years ago, I didn't make any money for six, six months. Literally so, zero. Dan Pettit says, thank you for asking that question, Jerry. We got other questions so coming in. The let feed let right me here. take a stab at that yeah. um, at the moment. So, look, the, the, I can only refer back to the study that was done for the Pacific Northwest that's been decoupled for a bunch of years. And that's why the, I don't live in Seattle. They, mm -hmm. And I know I, 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 <laughs> I do a little bit of work in Seattle, so I understand Seattle, <laughs> Seattle market well. <laughs> but. They, it, it hasn't changed. The number of the way the process is working, and all they did, and I'll keep on repeating this, is made sure a buyer-broker agreement was attached to the contract, and the, I got copies of their contracts. I got copies of the New York contract they're going to use. The first two freaking lines of the contract is, is how the agents are going to get paid. It's in the contract. It's clear. Everybody knows how they're going to get paid and how much they're going to get paid. And that's in our contract, too, our buyer agency agreement and our listing agreement. We have those in no, both of those No, but it's not documents. in the purchase contract. And that's what's going to start happening. This is a great happening. topic for a talk show. Sarah Hill Buchensky says this. Sarah Hill Buchensky is in the game. She's a realtor. She says, Jerry, how about the lawyers who are getting 30% of the settlement? If I could take a moment to respond to that question. When a lawyer is getting 30% of a settlement, the lawyer's agenda or the lawyer's strategy or the lawyer's way about going business coincides with that of their client. The attorney wants to get as much money as possible for their client and themselves. When a, you're a buyer's agent and you're trying to get the most compensation, and I'm not saying this happens because you guys are pros and you, you provide amazing value for your clients. I'll caveat that. You guys are the best of the best. But a buyer's agent, not everyone is as ethical as you guys. Some buyer's agents want to make as much as possible. A buyer's agent that wants to make as much as possible is looking potentially for a number that closes as high as possible because they get paid the most possible. That is not the same as a lawyer with a settlement. So then... That is very different options. So then Example, we as an Sarah industry need to enforce what Woody was talking about. So do you know what a $25,000... Increase in price. It's nominal for you guys. It's next it's to seven hundred and fifty dollars yeah, before taxes right. and before your commission split. Right. So no realtor is trying to get. They just want to close the deal. Right. I totally get it. So I want to make sure everybody understands that. And I tell my clients this in the listing presentation. 
if I can get you $25,000 more, Does that puts 23000 in your pocket. It puts $750 minus, minus, minus in my pocket, so Denise, minus taxes, minus my commission split. If, if you want to read a really good book on this, uh, Freakonomics or Super Freakonomics. Oh, yeah. Right on both. They, they do a, um, uh, a comparison. Uh, they, it's economists who bring in weird scenarios. I think they compare real estate agents to sumo wrestlers, if I, if I remember right. <laughs> I need to read That's this book. It's, it's been about 10 years since I've read yeah, it, but yeah. they do a really good job of breaking that down because it really, there's not much economic benefit for an, an agent to push something $10,000, no. you know, or even reduce it $10,000. It's a, it's a nominal difference. And you lose the client because they don't feel like you're working for them. But Denise, what you just said how many agents actually do that? How many I had to sit here and do the math because I don't calculate my commission until I get paid. The point, that's exactly right. We never count your chickens before they hatch. And I'm a criminal justice major, so I had to do 25,000 times .03 to get... And I'm a Marine, so I can't go over three. So, <laughs> and you have expenses from that. So right. the, the point is, is you that's started gross. your answer by saying, I sit down with my listing buyer and I go over this. I'm a professional. That's Look... There was a New York, uh, no, Wall Street Journal 80% article. 80% of agents were going to peace out. 80% of the agents going to peace I think that number is a bit strange. But That's what the Wall Street Journal reported. Well, only 20% make any money anyway. That's so. about 7% of the so agents you're going to 90% see, of the business. In yeah. my opinion, you're going to see somewhere between 30 50% come out. And it's really not this. It's we're 63% down in sales since 2020, right? That's, what, that's really what's going to happen because there's an agent's not making any money. But... This is when the pros show up. This, and I'm just going to constantly hit that at the home. When you sit down and you have a conversation with your listing, you know, with your seller, this is what I do. This is how I do it. This is how I get paid. And I'm really good at what I do. And if this doesn't work for you, that's cool. Well, no. and I, you keep mentioning the Pacific Northwest. Virginia was the first state in the country that had a buyer agency that's exactly agreement. Right. And so this is not new to us. This that's is exactly not something right. that we're just kind of, you know, saying, oh, gosh, now we have to catch up. We have been proponents of this. We exactly have right. required this. We have state law that That's says exactly we right. have to have these discussions, and not just the discussions, but we need to get agreement yep. from the client. So this is not something that... But the problem, Denise, is, and I can tell you, there's a bunch of contracts that I get from agents when we're doing listing that all of a sudden the buyer-broker agreements, that they attach it to the contract, which blows my mind. Yep. Right, and it's dated the same day of the contract, which obviously needs to get better. But I can tell you this: I think it really needs to get better. Well, and we're required by state law to have the conversation and to mm -hmm. disclose agency. That's exactly right. Not to have the document signed exactly the day right. we meet with the client, but to disclose it and um, have the client acknowledge that. So but that's, that, that's why the, they haven't been servicing this in an ethical way. I'm sorry, it's just not ethical to back into the agreement the day you're signing the contract. Do it up front. Cover your basis. I get you're not supposed, you're not required to legally to do it until then, but I mean, just do it up front. Get it over with. I would bet you. I, if you guys, you guys are familiar with the Tonight Show when Jay Leno used to ask random people on the street questions. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. I would bet you if you pulled a hundred people outside the studio on Market Street and asked them, "Did you know you have a seller of a house to not have to pay buyer's broker commission?" You know how many people would say they had no idea about that? A bunch of people. All of them. Yeah, that, that's the double. Okay, position. all of I was, them I was would know say that. I wouldn't say all. Okay, I would say it's over ninety percent of the people. But, I know this but, because I do this because I'm a real estate investor. My wife had no idea. Our neighbors had no idea. 
These are effing doctors. Well, when We're they at a cocktail the party. Agreement, when they sign the listing agreement, it's clearly laid out in there. So but do you know how many folks read the listing agreements? So Denise, I read the listing agreements because I negotiate for a living. But you know how many people read contracts? Yep. So this is the problem where Denise does this, but some don't. And we sit down and explain your, to your client every single page of that listing agreement. You do it with your contract because I know you've done it because I've seen you do it. We worked on two sides of the deal. Guarantee you do it with the buyer-broker agreement. And you go through and you make sure that your buyer, your seller, understands exactly what they're selling. And that's why that I started my happen. comments with we're in this position because not every yeah. realtor does what yeah. they are supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope you're right, Keith. I hope this creates more dialogue and creates more discussion. But what I don't want is for people to think what this lawsuit was based on is accurate, that we have colluded um, on pricing. I don't think you have at all. Can I jump in on that for a minute? Because, again, devil's advocate here, and, again, no disrespect to anybody here. But in the end, um, it's not about what you do or what you do. It's what the perception is from the public at large, right? So. I'm in a lot of different real estate mastermind groups through social media, and I'm also in a lot of appraisal stuff. The real estate stuff, I kind of just lurk, I watch. I watch a lot of agents really put themselves out there in a bad way publicly because they, they say things they really shouldn't. You know, like back during the, when we were really ramping up, we won't take VA contracts. We won't take FHA. Okay, we're going to discriminate against veterans and people who are trying to buy affordable. Look at your best offer, take it. Um, but that, that was their policy as, as, a, as a professional. If you look at any of those groups, uh, and this is all anecdotal, I don't have anything statistical to support it, but the understood commission across the board was an X amount. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to talk specific about commissions, but I don't care what part of the country you were in. It's, it's almost the exact same everywhere that you go. So the perception from the public was, if I'm going to sell a house or I'm going to buy a house, this is how much commission is going to be accounted for in the transaction. There were too many people doing this that didn't professionally handle it. They took low-hanging fruit, and they didn't do anything beyond that. They, just, they went through it doing the appearance of, of, of doing their job the right way when they were just taking advantage of people in a, in a situation. And, and I don't mean that to sound like everybody does that. They don't. I mean, it's like anything else. My profession, too, probably 20% of all the people who do what I do for a living as an appraiser are actually really good at what they do. The rest of them are somewhere to one side or the other. We were at a cocktail party over the weekend. This is a cocktail party with movers and shakers. A surgeon had no idea. Well, he a knows, surgeon did a not surgeon, know that. A surgeon knows how to be a surgeon. Right. That's, what I, that's my well, point. And there are a lot of people. So I, I will have to say I have to dispute what Woody is saying. And I think that's the perception the public has that there's this overriding commission amount that's kind of agreed to. I can go over in the Valley and it's completely different than it is in Charlottesville. I can go to Northern Virginia. I've never seen and it. And it's completely different than it is in Charlottesville. I've never seen it. I read contracts every day Absolutely. From, from everywhere. Absolutely. I could pull the MLS and show you. And we don't. I mean, that's just the yeah, but, way it but, is. If I don't mind jumping in, but Woody, the contracts you're reading don't have the, the percentage of eggs in the contract because it's not there yet. A lot right? of comments on the feed. So what, you, what you're, what you're, what you're assuming is because the listing yeah. agreement has what you don't see. Okay. okay. Right? That's fair. So, so that's it. But when, if, again, Pacific Northwest and, and, and soon to be in New York City on it, it will be in the contract. It's like a commercial contract, right? You do commercial deals. When you yep. see a commercial deal, it, it's in there. Heather Placer Mall says, Denise is awesome. Tell her, go Gators, and say hello to Woody for me. This is a fantastic panel. Hey, Heather. Christopher Posey watching the program. 
boatload of effing agents watching the program right now. Uh, this is from Jason Howard on Rio Road. He's responding to my comment about the Brooks Brothers at Best Buy. He says, Jerry Miller, to your point about other commission sales positions, Brooks Brothers, Best Buy, and car dealerships, they all have commissioned people like Woody said, but those businesses all own the inventory they are selling. They have 100% of the cost of the item on their balance sheet until it sells. Mm -hmm. It's a different level of risk than real estate, so it's not an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. Plus, they're paid salary in addition to the commission. They have a base salary. Our it's nominal. Plus health Healthcare benefits, which we don't have. Thank you very much someone's. for your work on that. Someone's on that. So I'll, I'll throw back on that, too. I think there's just as much risk, and I, there's more risk, actually, in what Denise and Keith do for a living because they are not being paid for their time. That's yeah. almost a valuable piece of commodity that I have is my time. And if I'm going to you know, spend it and I get no return on it, then... It doesn't hurt the consumer, but it really hurts me. Um, John Blair watching the program. We love you, John Blair, the Esquire viewers and listeners. Um, put some comments in the feed. So, this is from Dan Pettit, who's an agent. What about escalation clause and how it is used? And also, as owners of real estate firms, how often do you have conversations with your younger agents on commission changes, if any? Great questions from someone who spent uh, probably three, four decades in real estate. So I can say on that second half, we talk to our agents all the time. We call them partners on that. We're actually having a meeting today and on that. So that happens on a, on a regular basis. Not the percentage of eggs, but how to be a better buyer's agent and how to be a better listing agent. But before, before we jump the rest of the panel, do yourself a favor. Google, be careful what you wish for. The, the economic impact of changing the structure of real estate agent fees. It was written in May in 2022 by a couple of Georgetown, Washington professors. In essence, it echoes what Denise has been saying, that this is going to impact. Oh, it's going to impact the financially margin and first-time home buyers undoubtedly the most. But like most things in life, that's the socioeconomic de uh, demographic that's impacted the most in days. So what will happen in my opinion, is you'll start getting the federal government involved and it now will be allowed. They, I'm telling you, they're going to change the regulatory side of things on lending so that you can now count commissions into it. They're going to roll it into the contract price, just like we used to do with the other seller concessions. And that's ultimately going to happen because the federal government's going to, if this decoupling really happens across the board, right, the federal government is going to have to jump in for regulatory to allow the bankers to do because this. Because they're so good at regulating. I know. I knew you were going to say this. They're so good at all of that. I, I was waiting for her. Denise, I don't disagree with you. They need to focus on what they... Love this lady. There are a lot but, of things they need to focus on. That's all I'll say. But, and, but otherwise, how is, how is the first-time home buyer, how is the veteran going to... Well, the, this is an unintended consequence is going to come out yeah. of this. It always does. That's what but let's look at what's about. going on. We priced people out of the market already, just out of general, normal economics. Now we're looking at big investment firms are coming in. They're building 200, 300, 400 unit subdivisions that are all completely triple net leased to, to uh, tenants. Home ownership's going to become more of a privilege luxury. Than, than a right. It's, it's going to be a luxury thing. And that's, that's unfortunate. And plus, you're going to have this generational divide, which is happening. Yeah. Joe Meyer watching the program. I believe he is a pra an appraiser. Yeah, out of Baton, uh, uh, near New Orleans. Okay. I'm going to get it wrong. Um, <laughs> he says this, facts for the panel. The, this is Joe Meyer talking, an appraiser. The public does not understand what agents do or what appraisers do. Second fact, we have to explain why this protects the public. Yep. And third fact, we are terrible about telling our own story. Yes, agreed. And so this is one of the things that's come out of, I mean, NAR, we pay a lot of money in dues. They have a, a war chest, which 
unfortunately, a lot of it is being spent for this stuff. But a lot of questions are being asked about communicate the value, change our advertising, you know, be more specific about what agents do to add value to a client during this, the biggest purchase they're ever going to make. And we have not done a great job with that. I will say to agents in Charlottesville, stop posting stupid stuff on Facebook. Stop posting about what's, how quickly... What's stupid on Facebook? I Describe sold a house it. in 11 hours. Yeah. Or, you know... Those are the younger agents. That's crap. Because yeah. we all I'm are working... I'm agents that aren't younger doing that. Yeah. It doesn't add value to what you do, and it doesn't add value to our profession. Talk about the great things you do in the community. Talk about what you do to support the Charlottesville, Albemarle, Louisa, Fluvanna um, schools and the first responders. Talk about how long you worked with a buyer before you were able to get them under contract because this market is tough. you got to talk about what we do in a positive way and yeah. not make it look like You're this is an paper. easy profession because it's not. Denise, I'm going to jump in, and, and Woody, I'm going to ask you to support Denise, me. you're great. Support me on this. I'll try. Two years ago when I was on the car board, I literally made, it, made a motion that we need to work on what our value proposition was, that this was coming, that, that what we, where we are today was going to happen, and that was two years ago. What's our value proposition? What do we provide to our buyers and sellers? And guess what happened? Well, there's a site on the NAR website for realtors, and it's called competition.org, um, I think, or competition.com. There are a wealth of resources at your disposal as an NAR member that give you those talking points and give you advertising points that you can use when you're posting something on Facebook. I'll get the website and I'll send it to Jerry and Keith to post for you guys. But if you go on the NAR site, there's a wealth of information. They've, They've been in front of this and knowing that things like this were coming and we needed to justify our value. My comment wasn't that those resources are available. We're not putting it out there in a, in a big enough way to the public. So, you know, we spend a lot of money on advertising, on TV and in print, and we need to do a more specific job about what realtors bring I, I to the table. Think it's, I don't think it's out to the individual agent. To Jerry's point, you could probably line up 100 agents and ask them, do you know that resource is there? I know it's there because I'm all over the website on it. I'm engaging to go ahead and educate myself in that and, and our partners in it. But if you ask the same 100 agents, you're, you're probably going to get the same answer. For the agents that are washing, watching out there, right, you know, how, when do you do a buyer broker's agreement? I'm a buyer's agent. When the heck do you do it? I mean, if an agent is not, I'm not in the game just learn from you guys and do some buy and sell myself. If an agent's not doing a buyer's broker agreement before they show the first house, they're morons. They're absolute well, morons. You, and you know what? And, if, and, you and, don't, if you show houses to people and then someone falls in love with the house and then you say it's time to sign an agreement, you have no concept of doing business and you should not be enrolled. So I'm, I'm going to break it down even simpler. Denise, chime in. Tell me if I'm wrong here and push back on it. Most agents don't read the agent notes or the MLS sheet because here's the deal. Why would anyone do any work without having it on paper with signatures? Let me get this out. If I don't do a buyer broker agreement until the contract shows up and I open up Denise's thing and oh, by the way, it's at $1, I'm getting paid $1. So I can just speak to our team. We have probably a 15-page buyer presentation. Good for you. That our buyer's agents sit down with their buyer at a coffee shop or at lunch, and they walk through page by page. This is what we do. This is how we do it. And here's the buyer broker agreement. 
and this is what I'm going to do for you, which is a page long, and this is what you have to do for me, which is a paragraph long. And all it obligates that buyer to do is to work exclusively with that buyer's agent. We can make it a one-day agreement. We can make it a one-week agreement. We can make it a six-month agreement. If the buyer says, hey, I don't want to commit to working with you until I know you're good, then we make it a one-day agreement and say, okay, let's go look at houses today. If I do a great job, are you willing to extend the buyer agency agreement with me. So we all should be doing that. But to your point about all of these things, 10 to 15% of people in any profession, and I've managed salespeople my entire life, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. So we're never going to be good enough to get 100% of the agents on board with this. That's why we have this lawsuit. But what we need to do is a better job holding brokers, holding your agents accountable for doing this, and education, education, like he said, he and Yona do for their team. Um, and consumers need to demand it. I mean, Joe's I, giving you props. So percent. the feed is blowing Talk off. about consumers I mean, I and talk about it. this conversation. We had a, and thank you for the kind words, um, I'm caregiving <laughs> for my parents, right? The first thing they said yesterday when I showed up to them is, how are you doing about this lawsuit? My 80-some-odd-year-old parents. It's because it's in the... Legacy and traditional and average show and average salary. It was all it's over. It's not just the insider or trade publications anymore. But any real estate agent that's out there watching, if it you, was a conversation at a cocktail party that, this weekend with people that were not in real estate, asking me about this. But they need to know how to answer the question. Yes. Yeah, so any real going. estate, Denise just gave you the outline of this. Any real estate agent who's out there that doesn't have 110 pages or or 200 pages or two pages or whatever it is, as Denise explained it, you better get one and you better get one quickly because I'm I'm telling you, I called this two years ago. This decoupling is going to come across the country. It's going to take some time. We now are allowed in our car. NAR said it's a zero. Numbers, car saying one dollar. But it's always been allowed, and that's, always, that's the misinformation that people are getting. Oh, suddenly now you can put zero. You could always put zero. It's in always there. been there, but when my mother and father say, "Oh, I can now only charge," you know, ask for a dollar. So, mom, that's always been there. Dad, right. it's always been there, right? It's going to start creeping its way in. It will happen uh, on it. So, if you do your homework and you have your buyer plan together and you do your buyer broker agreement however you wish to do it then there isn't an issue here just go about your business and take care of your and client. sell the value of what you do mm-hmm. that's exactly right well and 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 also because i do this all the time if someone's not willing to pay what you want for your time don't work for them then you have to walk away right yeah. it took me i've been in business for 16 years and the first two or three years of doing business we took every business possible because we had to to build revenue. And then I realized not every dollar was worth the same. And if someone, yeah, if someone doesn't want to pay your value or understand the value proposition you offer, you have to walk away. I have listings that I lose for that very reason. Yeah. They'll say, oh, well, so-and-so is willing to do it for this. Are you? And I say, no. Yeah. And here's why. Go with them. But if you feel like that's the right, and if they do. Uh, Let me ask you a question. I don't don't lose any sleep over it. And how many times do you get phone calls? back after that well we can go down that path in another conversation but but you often. do get phone calls or not only that or you avoided a problem in a time suck exactly exactly well so, look at it the, from my perspective as an appraiser right so i'm in a business where being gregarious is not really something you see a lot appraisers are not you know out uh, uh 
we're very introverted people. You're not interfacing with the market. You're not yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. We, we are for the most part. And a person like myself, I'm not, you know, when I was in, in school, I would rather take a zero than go up to the board in front of the class. I mean, I just was afraid to be in front of people. Um, that's not the tr- case anymore. I've learned really quickly when I had my own business that I've got to put myself out there. And part of being a professional, a really good professional, is being able to tell people what I can do for them mm-hmm. and what I can, how I can make what, whatever they're trying to do better by, by all the different skills that I have and all the services that I can provide in my company. And I think this is a great opportunity for the agents who want to stay exactly. in it. You, this is... Uh, just sharpen up your, your tools and, and get better at doing that. If someone asks you what you can do for them, be able to tell them succinctly and, and honestly. If I'm not able to negotiate for my commission with you. Shouldn't be in the game. There you go. Shouldn't be representing the clients. And that's what money. I tell clients. And so they'll say, well, so-and-so said they would do this. And I said, well, think about this. I'm not willing to cave on the value that I provide. So how's that person going to negotiate for you when it comes time to negotiate well, a contract. Here's a question for you guys. I'll throw this to you. We're at the highest interest rates we've seen since what, 1997? Uh, I think so. It's I 1997. Believe so. Went down we're, a little bit last week. But we're yeah. at uh, in generation, not generational low. Inventory is tight. I'm just going to use straightforward language here. Interest rates spiked quickly, which is creating sticker shock. Inventory is very tight, and values are at the most expensive, perhaps in American history, or right about that. Right about that. Mm-hmm. What could happen is because there's fewer deals out there, buyer's agents may be willing to budge on their compensation because there's fewer deals out there. And if enough of that happens, then it's, as Joe says, a race to the bottom. Except, except when it goes sideways. And what does it always do, Denise? Yeah, and and, and so I'll tell you this. People said the same thing when... Discount brokerages came in. Oh, my gosh, what's going to happen? There's a place for everybody in this business, and that's why this lawsuit is unfounded. Um, There is a place for someone who says, I don't want you to do all that stuff, Denise. I don't care if you do all those 50 things you say you're going to do for me as a listing. I'm going to go with so-and-so because I like his price. That's okay. So I believe there will always be a place for discount brokerages, full-service brokerages, People like me, who I feel like deliver a better value than, you know, the people and I'm you competing make that with choice. who are willing. This right. is business. You yeah. make that choice. Of it's, Woody it's America. Can t- How about this question? This is a fantastic question. This question's from Grayson, who lives in North Downtown. He said, does the panel think that buyers' brokerages receiving 3% commission will become a service that's provided to only the wealthy or homeowners above a certain threshold? of income or threshold of value for their house. Potentially, and I think the That's lending possible. rules are gonna, gonna drive some of this. I mean, I just represented one of my son's friends who was looking at a for sale by owner, and he was getting an FHA loan. And I had to talk really, you know, proactively with his lender to make sure I was gonna get paid because the seller was not willing to pay me anything. So, yeah. And, I mean, and how did that path go? I got paid. So, from, so, from whom? From the buyer who rolled my commission into, into the, loan. Okay. the total of the loan. So, 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 Denise, this is exactly the point I've been making. This is when the pros show up. You know how to do the job. You know how to pick up the phone. And you know how to communicate. I got to follow up on that for Woody, the appraiser. If you're rolling in 3% commissions for buyer's agents. Or a commission. Okay, a commission into a loan. How is the home going to appraise? Will that impact what you do from an appraisal standpoint? Here's a perspective. 
perspective here. We're in a competitive market. Right. Let's say it's a million dollar house. The buyer's agent's looking for three points. Three points on a million is $30,000. If 30,000 is rolled into the value of a loan, does the, how does that impact the appraisal? And how does that impact the bank or the lender offering the money to buy the house? Commissions are fees, so they are not included in the appraisal or the valuation part of it. That's a question that I was running around a couple weeks ago trying to figure out because I kind of knew where we were going to end up. I'm, I talked to Keith, uh, Keith Davis over at Nust. I mean, a bunch of people I've reached out to. I should have reached out to you, but I didn't. Um, but it's just, you know, just so many different people trying to figure out, well, what's going to really happen here? Are the GSEs, the government-sponsored entities, which are Fannie and Freddie and the agencies, FHA, VA, et cetera, what are they going to do if commissions become a thing that have to be added on and then the seller is going to pay that on behalf of the buyer because it's been negotiated that way? Well, commissions are fees. that They are a normal transactional thing, like title fees and anything else. They're not considered in the valuation because if it's a concession – it actually becomes a net sales price because you have to re- reduce the concession away from the, the gross sales price. The actual value of the transaction at a cash equivalent basis is sales price minus concession. So in layman's terms, he's basically saying it's going to be a, another line item for fees at closing. Yeah. That's yeah. what you're saying. So yeah. it's already there. Yeah. Okay. So I've had conversations with four closing attorneys who called me and asked me this very question, and one of them would be Bill Tucker. On that, and I said, Bill, what do you do for a for sale by owner? He says, Yeah, I just put it in the yeah. closing disclosure. And does everybody get paid? Yes, everybody gets paid. To your point on, on that example, I do want to give before we get into another topic. I do want to take a moment and give a shout out to NAR because one of the things I've been talking about forever, what I think NAR does really, really well, is the statistics. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I have Dr. Lutz and Dr. Yoon working on something for me. Met them at a CEO convention on it. And I got an email um, yesterday from both of them because I asked them a specific question. When was the last time we had an inventory shortage of this level and buyer short of uh, uh, more buyers in the market? You know when the last time that was? Uh, early 80s. World War II. So for those of you who don't know who Keith's referring to, Lawrence Yoon is the chief economist for the National Association of Realtors. And Jessica Lutz, Lutz is the... Um, the analyst, basically. I don't know what she her specific title she is. Does but that's what your members' dues pay for. So they should be responsive to you as a member when you ask questions like this. That's what you're paying they are. for. They were very super responsive. I also had them in a corner in a room, so they weren't going anywhere. But before we get off this topic, I do want to say one thing. Um, and I, I said this. I don't even know who I said it to. People are jumping on the Wall Street Journal website and commenting on this judgment. They're jumping on Inman and commenting on this judgment and not all saying positive things. Don't be that person. I think I said this at Carr the other day. Um, The public reads these comments, and again, it's feeding into this whole negative view of our industry. So if you have a frustration about something that's going on at NAR or VAR or CAR or your local association, reach out to them. Don't feed into this negativity by liking or posting negative comments on these on these articles because it does nothing but tear our industry down. Well, this is where we are. We're, we're in this space. So this is the conversation we're having right now. And my answer to my comment to that would be is if you're going to do it, just be factual, yeah. right? If you're going to do it, be factual. Don't I'm going to be a little more toothy about it. If you're going to be very opinionated about anything and you're not volunteering to be part of the solution and Thank you're just you. complaining, be quiet. Yes. Please. 
Uh, Vanessa Parkhill, watching That's the program in Earliesville. When you talk about who pays, at the end of the day, doesn't the seller always have the ability to adjust their price to cover the buyer's side of the commission? The key for the average buyer is to minimize the cash due at the time of closing. That's an accurate statement, Vanessa, but we have to also be mindful of what the value of the home is in the market. Especially for appraisal purposes. Right. So right now, and I tell clients this when I have a buyer agency discussion with them, the seller's stroking the check for the commission, but at the end of the day, you're paying it and the price of the house. Right. So you're paying me whether the seller's writing the check or not because my fee is rolled into the cost of the house. So that cost for my fee needs to, we need to make sure to be mindful that the house will appraise based on the market um, sales until there is a decoupling, if there is a decoupling and it becomes a fee that's separate on the line. So you think the, the decoupling should happen, Denise? No, I feel like it's going to hurt the people that need the help the most. I feel like the first time home buyers, veterans, people that, that can't afford to write that check, senior citizens. Um, the people who are going to benefit from this are the people that can afford it. Woody Fincham, should the decoupling happen? Uh, it's going to happen, yeah. but I don't think it's going to be a complete separation or segregation. It's just going to be reworked into the deal a different way. So if you're going to ask me the question, I'm not going to answer should or shouldn't. It is going to happen. Yeah. And it's just a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And to Woody's point, it's how everybody structures this. I'm holding this, this 41 pages in my hand for a reason. Be careful what you wish for, right? So one of the things they talk about this is, for those of us been around a while, that remember 2008, 2008, 9, and 10, that's when, you remember when sellers were saying, I'd give you my second born to make the deal happen. And that's what is, be careful what you wish for. The market always changes. At some point in time, we might get back to that. I'll probably be retired and long gone before, before <laughs> that happens. But uh, eventually, that pendulum does swing, and then it's a seller's market, and sellers will be begging to put it. We're seeing this now on... They'll be offering bonuses like they did in the past. $5,000 agency bonus to sell my house. You're seeing it now, Denise, on stuff that's yeah. long on the tooth that are out in some areas that are not, let's say, hot market. Appealing. Uh, right, appealing. Thank you. Um, uh, you're they're, asked, they're offering buyers agents greater commission structure to incentivize the showing of homes that are off the beaten path. So, Woody, we, Woody Finch, specifically for you for multiple agents, what does Woody do as an appraiser when escalation clause goes over his appraisal now? We do a lot of research. So our firm's a little different than a lot because a lot of appraisers stay retrospective. Um, to do a proper market analysis when we're doing an appraisal, we look at everything on the table. If I've got four or five different consumers offering above what it's listed at or higher than what we can see as a retrospective value, we will look at it very carefully. And I want copies of all of the offers. I want to see if there's any guarantees in there, cash. So if I've got four or five people offering more than lists, that tells me that the property probably should absorb into the market at a higher price point than it is. Uh, a lot of appraisers just look at retrospective data. They don't look at current or even, they don't even look into the future whatsoever. But, you know, when you're buying real estate, you're, you're paying present value for future benefit. I mean, that's, that's the economic term that we work with as an appraiser and as agents. So um, we, we do look at it. Um, can we all the time support a, an over-listing price amount? No, we can't. If sometimes people just have no rhyme or reason to why they're offering so much. So I have a question for you on yeah. that on that side. If the market's willing to pay X, 
and you've got three competing offers that support that price. Yeah. How Isn't can, that the market price? Right. Isn't that How can asking? that not be well, the Well, the difference price? between price and value are they're very distinct things. But the value is what the consumer is willing to pay, right? No, that's the price. That's a fact. That's a price. Value is a concept that has to be supported. The way we look at value it. Value is tied to comps where price is tied to what someone's yeah. willing to well, offer. Well, the, the best example I can give you, Denise, would be luxury property. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of luxury property. It's one of my niches. Um, we oftentimes will see something that's on the market for $12 million that we can only value up to maybe eight, nine, or even $10 million because whatever those folks are paying for, they have the ability to overpay for it. They're not paying market value. They're paying – there's a little emotion attached because these are the same folks that can write a check for whatever they want to. But so they're not borrowing money. Banks – are very clear in that they don't want to be put into a risk position where they're going to have to take back a piece of real estate in two years and they're upside down because they're already going to be upside down on it anyway if it's a five percent loan or less. So if it's so, let's talk about more. My my yeah. not twelve million. I wish I sold twelve million dollar properties. Um, so if it's a seven hundred thousand dollar house, sure. And we have three offers, which drives it to eight hundred thousand mm -hmm. dollars. My question to you is, if those three offers all escalated to something close to the 800, how can that not be, how can there be a, a delta between the appraised value and the market? We look at saying that's price versus value. That's what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, from a, uh, from a theory and concept perspective, price is one thing, value is something different. Uh, value is going to be what you can support with the data. Um, you've got three different, in this case, you're saying three people or three offers. Are willing to pay 800,000. Right. But are they really? You've got to look at the offers, too, because a lot of times we'll see escalation clauses where they're willing to guarantee a couple thousand over whatever the highest offer Price is. Price versus value hedges risk. Yeah. yeah. Value, value is a risk hedge KPI. Well, you and I need to have that discussion. That's what you're saying. No, I'm happy to. <laughs> That's what you're saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Um, keep so, going. Keep, yeah. Go so, ahead, keep. so the point to add to that with the three offers on that. And Woody, I know you've done this before because we've seen it, and you don't see a lot of real, a lot of excuse me, appraisers do this. Go ahead and communicate directly with the listing agents and the buyer's agent. Um, I've talked to you about this a couple of times on the show. I just want to get this out there. Yeah. Um, you know, when Yona and I do a listing, and before we sell it, an appraiser shows up, we put a a package or a booklet for the appraiser on in in the property to take a look at our comps. Thank so, you for doing that. Yeah, and, 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 and frankly, some appraisers push back and say, we're not supposed to do that. So for the agents out there listening, that is allowed. I can do this as a listing agent to put, hey, these are my comps, these are the upgrades, here's my package. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I miss the old days. We uh, provide the, the escalating offers yeah, to the appraiser. Wonderful information. And it's have. amazing. Some appraisers, would, would Denise would say that uh, I don't, you can't even call me. What I would tell you, if you meet an appraiser and they do that to you, they have an email address, send them the stuff via email. Do your job as best that you can. If they're not going to look at it, you can't make them look at it. But there's nothing wrong with it as long as you're not going to the appraiser and saying, hey, you know, we can get yeah, you I need some you more to business. Do this. Yeah, 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 I mean, there can be no collusion on it. Yeah. But, I mean, it's standard for, I mean, you, you folks advocate for your clients. It's what you do. As long as you're not asking me to do something illegal or unethical, I don't care what you're getting. Now, that doesn't mean that every package I get from folks is of any merit. Sometimes it's kind of thrown together and other times. That's why I have Yona do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes, you know, when we're, we're struggling on, a, on supporting a contract, I may reach out to an agent and ask him, hey, can you share your CMA with me? And 99% of the time, I don't, think, CMA is. I don't think they even do one. Uh, so comparative market analysis. It's essentially how the listing agents determine how they're going to price it. It usually includes the comparable information and, and how they're considering um, 
I mean, once in a while we'll get them, but, you know, nine out of ten times we don't. Seth Liskey, uh, watching the program, one of uh, downtown Stanton's most prolific investors. Seth, I'm ready to do that deal with you. Ivy Haynes, watching the program. Ivy, you're welcome on this program anytime. Um, I got as many comments I'm going to try to get to here in the next four and a half minutes as humanly possible. I do want to highlight one of my favorite viewers and listeners watching the program right now is Lisa Kirkpatrick. Lisa, it is an absolute joy uh, doing business with you. You're a fantastic representative of the Denise Ramey team. Lisa Kirkpatrick, you are awesome. Um, I'll throw this to the panel. You may not like this question. I'm giving you a heads up. What happened to okay. all the positive comments okay. you're going to read? Now you're going to throw a hardball question. This is a good one. Uh, this is from Thomas watching the program, who's a real estate investor, a fairly prolific one. I believe last time we spoke, he had 43 doors. He says, does he expect, does the panel expect we will see more FISBO um, offerings because of this? Probably not. I don't think so. I don't so. think FISBOs are, are traditionally as successful as getting with the professional and putting it out there in the MLS and having someone market on your behalf. I'm about ready to list my first FISBO that fizzled out that is going to go active this, this afternoon because they couldn't make it happen. I would think this would do just the opposite. I would agree with that. I would think that this would cause people who thought they might want to go that route to save money to consider being represented. Because um, they could potentially save three points. Potentially, yeah. That's what so, you're saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, so did you get, no, I was going to ask you, I, I'm going to do a PSA. I need a little bit of time at the end for a PSA. Cause it's getting about to be that time. It's about that time. So, so what we're going to do is I'm going to thank everybody for their time. And thank you for coming. And, and Denise, you're a rock star. You're always welcome, yeah. please. Woody, you know. You're you both you, all three of you guys are tailor-made for this setting. Like tailor-made. Denise, Woody, Keith, tailor-made for this. But I'm going to pivot, folks. What's tomorrow, everybody? Election, election day. day, yes. So uh, elections matter. Contested elections matter. Uh, you got any predictions, Denise? <laughs> <laughs> That's a, I, I'm silent on this one. Okay. I do know the school board race is very, very interesting. Very interesting to watch. Okay. So Wednesday on this show, we're going to tackle on who got elected and why and what impacts it's going to have on, particularly on real estate, because it's a real estate show. But... Today is today. Tomorrow is election day. If you haven't already voted, please go vote. Elections matter. Contested elections even matter more. The city of Charlottesville isn't going to be so contested. There are no contested there elections. No con There's not a single one on the school board or city council in the city of Charlottesville. But the well, rest at-large is contested. Uh, Albemarle? No, no. Albemarle County School Board at-large is contested. Mm -hmm. City of Charlottesville School Board is four candidates running unopposed, and city council is three candidates yeah, running the, unopposed. The, the city election's already over. Yeah, that, uh, that was determined in the primary. But, Michael Buchensky says always use a listing agent. Go, Michael. Mike. Yeah. Yeah. But Fulvana has contested. Green has contested. Albemarle has contested. I don't think Nelson does, but I may be wrong. And if Jesse's listening, he can, yes. he can chime, chime in. And uh, Louisa County has some contested elections. So elections matter. If you're local, please go out and vote because um, it impacts how maybe – how we can get some damn inventory so we can maybe sell some houses and move folks in. I'm being a little Pollyannic on that, but we're going to try it anyway. Very. Uh, you thoughts on tomorrow? What are you pitching? 
It's going to be interesting. I live in Fluvanna, so we're watching that with uh, some uh, some interest. As the state as the elections are huge. That's oh my god! This is track. the biggest. Every four years, this is our biggest thing with the this Senate. This is our so. biggest one. There's a there, are, there could be a potential shift it's, one way. Virginia or the other. is in a very weird spot, and that right now that it's one of the smaller states that actually whatever happens in this four year cycle actually det- it's been a good uh, forecaster for what's going to happen yeah. in the national. election This is a bellwether election in a bellwether state. And right. I have to give a shout out to the lobbying group at. Virginia Association of Realtors, we have over a hundred seats that are oh yeah um, up up, and and we are losing a generational wealth of experience because of the redistricting. We've had so many of our elected officials retire. Um, Rob Bell being one of them, mm-hmm. who his district Generations. changed, and Rob has been a great supporter of the realtor community for many many years. Um, so they have been doing yeoman's work in, in trying to help us choose realtor-friendly candidates, property rights-friendly candidates for um, all of these open seats. And I will tell you, their job is going to be more difficult than ever once this election is completed because sure. they're going to have to bring all these new people um, who don't know anything about Rookies. our issues up to speed very quickly to help support. And if this decoupling takes takes a hold, like I think it will, there's going to have to be some stuff at the state done well, at we're this already, level. Well, we're already there with a the buyer agency agreement. Agreed. So I, well, I, I think... think the, I think the language is too fuzzy. I think it should be very specific, and but that's classic. But my, my point at the end of this all, those of you who know me um, know that I'm going to ask you to invest in RPAC, the Realtor Political Action Committee, because the money that you invest helps us um, elect Realtor Party-friendly um, candidates. It's nothing to do with people's social issues or anything other than how did you vote on real estate related issues and it's money well invested. I'm going to so. make it simpler than that. If there was an RPAC, we wouldn't be work, wouldn't have worked through COVID. So if you were a real estate agent that either got in in COVID or did very well during COVID, you need to thank RPAC and Denise in particular. And for invest. That. Invest, please. It's not too late. You can call Tiffany if you're a Charlottesville agent. You can go online. Um, if you need help with that, just give me a call or shoot me a text. Can I put a B in your bonnet? I'd, I would uh, donate more money to RPAC, and I already donate, uh, if you guys actually had a valuation committee at the state level. We have we it do. at national. We do. Mm, no. You're talking about valuation as far as who we Appraisers. support? Yeah, you guys have got, yeah, we need appraiser representation. Max now. Strickland has been on the RPAC fundraising and the RPAC disbursement. We need a committee. Um. That's, that's a good point. That's two things you guys so, need to talk about. Look at that. But I, I want to connect you with Matt because he is an advocate know. for you guys strongly yeah. on the, the RPAC committees. But. So uh, to quote. I, I got to wrap. Yeah, I got to wrap. The sky isn't falling. It's 1130. Yeah, I got to wrap. Just do your buyer broker agreement and everything will be fine. Thank I love you. Seville. Guys, thank you for joining us on Real Talk with Keith Smith show archived on realtalkwithkeithsmith.com and on ilovesevil.com. The I Love Seville show is up in 58 minutes now. Um, a lot of news, some breaking news, including some details on a brand new show coming to the I Love Seville network. Thank you kindly for joining us. So long, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you. So tell me what that means. Tell me what that looks like to you. What do you mean? Uh, Just a minute. Yeah.